This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode number 127 here in the den. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant, and we've got another uh, great episode coming for all of our listeners and viewers. And Nick, we are kind of getting down to the wire as far as teams that we believe are going to be atop the NCHC here, the top two on the way. And uh, I think the the secret is out as to who we pick to be number one, but we're going to start with the team that is uh, number two, at least in our eyes. But again, we've talked about this top four quite a bit, Nick. And, uh, you know, there's especially between the top two teams, there's not a lot of separation between the remaining two previews we have for the for the remaining top teams, I should say, in the NCHC. Did I say that enough times? Anyway, other things that uh, we have to mention here, uh, we're going to recap some more of the women's world championships. We're just getting down into the medal round now into crunch time here. Uh, the U.S. doing very well. Knock on wood. We'll probably jinx that like we always do on this show. And then, of course, a very abbreviated Huskies Illustrated with the Roundup and Center ice News and Notes. So without further ado, the illustrious, the amazing Nick Maxson is going to take us away. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. I wasn't prepared for that, so here we go. Um, with that being said, Noah, so uh, for those who uh, are playing the home game, uh, Noah usually makes the transition to center ice view news and notes and this Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. I guess that's my duty today. And that probably was a Caleb Peabody troll just in itself. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, you, know, I, you know, I will say not to interrupt you before you even get started on the show. Um, today is Thursday. Early. Today, yeah, I think I beat my previous record. I think uh, you did. Uh, it's just before 7.30 uh, at night here on Thursday, uh, the first day of September. And uh, actually, uh, I talked to Caleb actually today for the first time in a couple weeks, and he was actually asking about you, and he hopes that you're doing really well, and he said that he misses you. So I don't want to be too sappy, but the man is looking out for you, and he's looking out for uh, – he actually also asked if you were wearing your glasses today, and clearly you're not, so – I, I haven't learned my lesson apparently. So, <laughs> but we'll, uh, okay. we'll, we'll find the appropriate nursing we'll, home for you eventually. I right. promise. And sooner than later, apparently for me. <laughs> so um, speaking of sooner than later, um, the hockey season is coming up sooner yeah. than later. So that's actually some good news. It is uh, September Noah, which means training camps are a couple of weeks away. Uh, and also just a couple of things wrapping up in the news wise. Uh, how about this though? The pens uh, sooner or later needed to do something about Mike Sullivan. They did something. They extended 
him to another three years, which means his contract now runs through 2027. Um, two times Stanley Cup champion. Also was a coach with Brent Larson of the Huskies um, at the Olympics. And so uh, highly regarded there in Pittsburgh. And, you know, kind of funny how he came into the fold and now is one of the more longer tenure coaches in the National Hockey League. And uh, yeah. to me, Noah, definitely deservedly so. Yeah, certainly. Uh, it was, it's almost kind of interesting, too. Uh, you know, the Olympics and, and the big debate with when that comes out. You know, interesting that similar to what we see a lot with the World Juniors in the college world, uh, which of course was affected this last round by the Olympics, but seeing NHL coaches and what used to be players kind of pulled away for that event too. So uh, interesting timing for him, but I mean, that's an opportunity that uh, as Brett Larson has alluded to, and I'm sure Mike has as well, that's an opportunity you don't take, you don't turn down unless uh, there's no other options. So well-deserving of him. Um, the Penguins are in kind of an interesting spot. They are just a team that, they just never seem to really go away. You kind of think that this is the year that they're going to kind of fall off a cliff or they're going to finally start to rebuild. And somehow they just keep on kicking, kicking. So kudos to Mike Sullivan, obviously a couple of cups really early on in his tenure with Pittsburgh. And since then a couple of, a couple of lean years, so to speak, but uh, he's been keeping the train rolling for sure. That he has. Uh, speaking of keeping the train rolling, how about uh, out in Buffalo, keeping Tate Thompson uh, rolling there um, up there in Buffalo? Yeah. Seven year extension, $7.14 million per season. Uh, holy cow. The 23 year old yeah. had 38 goals, 30 assists for 78 points. Um, and uh, excuse me, 68 points for those who can count and 78 games played. Um, I'm a little surprised by this, Noah. Yeah, the reason same. why I say this is the term. And the dollar amount, um, this is nothing to take away from Tage Thompson, mm -hmm. but it does kind of feel like a knee jerk with Buffalo that I think is sensing finally a little bit of actual hope uh, to finally kind of make some progress toward being a playoff contender. And dare I say, maybe that influences trying to keep somebody that was partly a big time of their uh, of their scoring last year uh, in the fold. And uh, we'll say if you're Tage Thompson, you're you're definitely liking your bank account now. But for Buffalo, this this seems a bit knee jerk. Don't you agree? Yeah, you know, and the the piece that obviously we came out with, uh, and Jeff Skinner having a rebound year last year, and there was Helps. another player. Yes. There was another player that you know you looked at that contract too, and it was kind of like oof. And, you know, with the emergence of Alex Tuck, obviously uh, getting ready to do what he's been doing, kind of that top line really had a lot of success for the Sabers last season. Um, so you can kind of see the building blocks of success and. The thing with contracts, contracts like this, we've talked about the Kirill Kaprizov situation. You know, they signed him for, you know, over $9 million. And you look at that and you say, boy, this is a big gamble. This could be something that, you know, he could be well undervalued in his contract if he plays the way we think he is. Or this could be an overpay. In Kirill's case, he's probably the way he underpaid. played last year. Yeah, worth 11 to $11.5 million. I mean, he's just that good last season. Uh, Tage Thompson only one year sample size where he really kind of broke free last year. So mm -hmm. this could look really good if he's able to replicate a 35 to 40 goal season again. Uh, and then he looks like an absolute steal at this price point. If he has a, I don't even know if you call it a sophomore slump, but, but like a second breakout year slump for him, so to speak, it looks like a really tough look for the Sabres, but I'm sure when you look at that management group uh, in the Pagulas who really have had a real hit or miss relationship with that city in the past decade or so, mm -hmm. they are uh, 
probably chomping at the bit to finally get some offense back, especially with losing Jack Eichel. So, hundred um, percent. Offense is part of the game, but so is goaltending. Um, and the Dallas Stars re-upped Lakeville native uh, Jake Ottinger to a three-year deal, twelve million dollars in total contract value, or AKA four million dollars a season. Um, expected Noah. Um, I actually expected this number to be slightly higher. Yeah, what a steal! Um, a, a big steal for Dallas and uh, for a goaltender that. Um, has been in the minors, has kind of played back and forth, and there's been some goaltending terrorism, shall we say, with Dallas for the past couple of seasons. Uh, ben Bishop, uh, just to name one of them, then, and then Braden Holpe, uh, just to name a couple, and Jake Ottinger was supposed to be the future, and apparently future is now there for Dallas. Yeah, um, and you know he's a guy that obviously you know had a great playoff run in the first round, yes. uh, getting to overtime in Game 7 against the Flames, but you know, to say his body of work has been, you know, extensive is a bit far reaching. So mm -hmm. a perfect little bridge deal here. It's kind of semi low risk, high reward for Dallas here. If it doesn't pan out a pretty good mm -hmm. price point, I think, especially in today's market for a goaltender that uh, all things considered seems to be trending in the right direction. So um, yeah, I like the contract. I, unfortunately, I don't like the Dallas stars. So that one might pay <laughs> dividends, pay dividends for the central division rival of the Minnesota wild. That it may. Um, speaking of division rivals, this one not in the Central Division. How about uh, more goaltending news? The San Jose Sharks moving Aiden Hill to uh, Vegas for a fourth-round pick. Uh, last season, Aiden Hill had 25 games to his credit, 2.66 goals against average, a shade over 906 save percentage, has one year left in his deal, 2.175 million. Uh, this makes sense for me, Noah, because they were about to start the season with Oren Brossois and Logan Thompson. There's some... Dare I say a hole there? Um, so Aiden Tom, uh, Aiden Hill has been good. Um, it definitely creates a little bit of competition. And I think more importantly, I think the move is more to try to take some pressure off Logan Thompson, who um, I got to see in person late last season, their last home game. I think he looks good, but I think they're definitely trying to make sure that they don't rush his development to more so put him in a position that he can't uh, succeed. Yeah, and it sounds like the Sharks are actually ready to take a real long good look at uh, Capo Kakinen too and give him the net and yes. see how he's going to perform too. So, uh, yeah, you know, I wouldn't call it a nothing move, but, you know, a bit more of a low-key uh, movement here as we get ready for the season. But uh, Vegas addressing some needs and the Sharks uh, desperately looking for a rebuild with a lot of retooling both player-wise and front office-wise this past season. And uh, just the beginning of what is more shaping out to be looks like a, a long rebuild for the Sharks. Granted, they were a powerhouse playoff contender for the better part of the decade. And, uh, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. No, and I think for San Jose, maybe hopefully with the new regime, finally seeing that um, it's time to maybe doing some rebuild. And it's, it's tough. There are some good players there, but it might now be the time to do so. Uh, speaking of rebuilding, uh, the Wild aren't rebuilding their defense, but maybe retooling their defense. They did trade it, Dmitry Kulikov to the Anaheim Ducks for future considerations. Um, his contract was worth about two and a quarter million dollars. So uh, that sheds that cap space. Now, a, a side note for me, um, I know that there's been the Kalen Addison discussion. I do feel like there is some room here, but then again, we talked about this again. Noah. He, he's a he's a top four defenseman if he's going to be successful. You open up maybe something there. Um, yeah. I'm not so sure. Here's the other thing. You were never going to get anything for Dmitry Kulikov. Um, for those who are out there that are saying, hey, I can't believe there were nothing, essentially nothing burger in the return for the Wild. The Wild 
and like were out there to get anything in return for this. They were trying to um, offload a player um, and some money that they felt like they had extra on. And let's be fair in Toronto, uh, sent Patrick Marlowe and a first round pick to Carolina just to offload his contract um, for him to be able to shed cap uh, to a team that for Dmitry Kulikov, what is it? His fourth straight uh, year with a new team. Um, he's yeah. bounced around a little bit. Um, it, it's kind of sad because I think Kulikov actually had a decent regular season, but dare we say that this team was always going to be judged in the playoffs and let's just, Say yeah. lightly, his playoff performance was not great. Well, and I think we're getting to that point where we're going to finally see if Kalen Addison, who's going to be 23 by the end of the season, uh, if he's going to really get a chance to shine here. You look at the depth chart, um, you know, Jacob Middleton, Jared Spurgeon, Brodeen, Dumba, Alex Goligoski, and then it's Kalen Addison. Your next defenseman that's in there, John Merrill right now is on the IR, and then Andre mm-hmm. Suster is your healthy scratch right now. So beyond that, there really mm-hmm. isn't anybody. The next one maybe Dakota Mermis, um, you know, that probably makes maybe Brock, maybe Brock Faber, um, depending on how the goal for season goes late, right. but not starting option for sure. And the other, the other one that I didn't throw in here too, of course, Sam Steele getting signed. I was originally with the Anaheim ducks and didn't really get tendered an offer here. So he's a good little depth piece that could make the team at a training camp on the forward side. I also always forget that Nicholas Patan is uh, part of the wild organization now too. I uh, mm-hmm. through 2024, he was a guy that was a really good world junior player for Canada. Very good a world co- junior player. A couple, couple of years ago, had a really, a uh, big bright upside i believe he was drafted by the jets and uh just kind of never really panned out there so we'll have to see how that goes but kalen addison right now when you look at the depth chart uh it's hard to argue that he's not in the top six at least for right now and even against john merrill uh depending on deployment how you want to use him uh it certainly uh makes the conversation at least intriguing so the while they're going to get a good look at him um you know it's kind of up to him to make to make it out of camp we've talked about that for a couple of years where we said oh you know, Kalen Addison, you know, he just doesn't have a spot to make it out of camp, even if he plays well. Now I think is the first year where he really gets a shot, don't you think? I agree. Um, we saw this a different last year, right, where we saw the depth signings of defensemen, including Kulikov and then including Jordy Ben, which was a late addition. And it, with a crowded NHL, essentially contract structure, uh, we did not really see a you know room for that unless it say it was really bad out of the fold. And, you know, obviously hindsight's 2020 Noah, but mm-hmm. imagine Kulikov didn't play as well with John Merrill, the first uh, little bit of the season. I, you, one would have thought maybe uh, Kulikov would have been maybe a trade bait target um, yeah. come spring. And maybe that would have given Kalen Addison a bit more of a look in this, uh, you know, maybe end of last season, but again, not a whole lot of depth in the defensive corpse, uh, like we saw last season with new additions. So the door seems to be open for him. But again, as Bill Guerin has said ad nauseum, um, this is not a given position. He will have to earn it, uh, but it certainly feels like uh, the numbers are in his favor this season as compared to last. Yeah, and the other piece of this, too, I mean, you look at the third pairing piece, too. If Matt Dumba starts to struggle, it might be Matt Dumba and Alex Goligoski on that third pairing. I mean, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it'll be an interesting ride for sure. Excited for some Minnesota Wild Hockey coming just around the corner this month, mm-hmm. actually, preseason starting on September 25th. So excited to get some hockey rocking and rolling here. Yeah. I. Uh, Speaking of hockey, that is rolling right now. Two more quick topics here. Uh, the U.S., we're going to talk about the women's worlds uh, at the end of the show here. But uh, one of the players, superstar Hillary Knight, made history uh, just today on Thursday, surpassing Canadian icon Haley Wickenheiser for the most points in tournament history with 87. Uh, 30, 
33 years of age, first appeared at a world championship in 2006. She's been at the event 11 times since, eight gold medals, three silvers, and leading the event in scoring on four separate tournament occasions. Also won one gold and three silvers with the U.S. on the Olympic stage as well, too. So congratulations to her. They thought she ended up getting it in the second period, but one of the assists was taken away. So her uh, passing point uh, was actually a goal in the third period, Mm -hmm. which you kind of like it when they're on goals. I feel like, you know, for those moments, you like it to be something where they, you know, pot one in the back of the net. So great hockey player. We'll touch on her. I'm sure a little bit more uh, in the extra ice session. Uh, Last topic here, Nick, Uh, I am so stoked for this. I shouldn't be because like, I don't really have any affiliation, but the Buffalo Sabres are bringing back the black and red third third jersey to their uniform set it's going to be a slight retweak here the team will wear the third jersey modeled after those primary uniforms from 1996 until 2006 Mm -hmm. for 12 games during this year's season the new uniform fully revealed in early november oh the old buffalo sabers logo with the buffalo head and the the red white black and gray oh those are just uh, sexy i mean there's no other way to describe it no that isn't and you know (laughs) We've talked about Jersey flubs in the NHL uh, before, um, and you kind of got the feeling with the test run of the reverse retros. Um, yeah. You know, granted, it was a money grab. Let's be straight on that. But, you know, was this also, you know, sort of a test run for some franchises to maybe debut a more permanent third jersey? And you kind of wonder if other teams are looking at something like that um, as a nice little throwback. And yeah. dare I say it again, it, hurt, it helps everybody. And for Buffalo, again, one of the more iconic, um, say, old logos that have been around for uh, quite some time again, you know, for, for Caleb watching or listening to this, uh, I was alive when they wore this quite extensively. Um, you know, this is a days of Dominic Hoshik. This is the dominators, you know, uniform. And so, you know, there's a lot of good karma associated with that design. And uh, for Buffalo Sabre fans, a, a nice kick. Um, again, it's slightly retooled from the years past, but uh, very, very good decision to bring those back. And those are going to be some games, I think, that will sell plenty of tickets um, yeah. and plenty of jersey replicas um, in their merchandise stores for sure. Yeah, when I was a kid, I was a big Thomas Vanek fan. So, of course, you had Thomas Vanek, Ryan Miller, Danny Briere, Jogan Hesch, you know, Maxima Finneganoff, just so many yes. great, great names coming back from those early to mid 2000s. And then, of course, their cup run in 99 that got halted by the Dallas Stars uh, and a particular portion of the ice that happens to be right in front of the net. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. With with that being said, Nick, uh, we are going to head on over to the main portion of the show. And welcome into episode number 127. Myself, Noah Grant, alongside Nick Maxson. Nick, uh, kind of getting back to normal a little bit, at least for this week. Hopefully next week's show should be uh, right on as a regular release, as far as we know. Um, excited here to uh, get kind of to the tail end a little bit of some NCHC previews and really, you know, not in an offensive way to any other of these NCHC teams, but now we're getting into the powerhouse teams. Uh, These teams Mm -hmm. that had some really good seasons last year. Uh, Like you mentioned, hockey season is around the corner. Um, You've got some things cooking here that uh, hopefully we'll be able to reveal uh, in a couple of episodes here for myself. I am uh, calling a hockey game by the time uh, or the day that this show comes out on Friday. The Minotauros and the NHL are already getting started. Exhibition games this weekend. Uh, exhibition uh, charity contest the following weekend. And then the NHL showcase in Blaine at the Schwann Super Rink. And then the regular season starts. So it's pretty mm-hmm. crazy how quickly everything has come together. Guys getting on the ice for the first time. And 
uh, getting some scrimmages and some practices in. So um, not only is the NCHA ramping up, like you mentioned, college hockey uh, and junior hockey as a whole um, is getting ready, along with the pros in the National Hockey League. So, Nick, before we start with some college hockey news, um, we actually had a, a, a personal DM about uh, – the preview process a little bit and how we kind of run through this. And I thought this was kind of cool actually to, you know, not that we like to tutor on horn a little bit, um, but it was kind of a general synopsis of like, you know, not so much like sources, where do we find our information, but how long does it take to put some of this information together? What is the thought process for discussing where teams are ranked, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I think the, the honest Testament, first of all, is that, you know, each one of these putting these together, cause you know, I love my stats for sure. Uh, <laughs> each one of these, maybe two hours, three, depending on uh, how well a website or a particular team's personal website is laid out. Like for example, the Denver pioneers are a really good website to work with. They have a lot of great they information are. and very well laid out. Um, but yeah, I would say on average about two hours. So, you know, obviously we put some work into this and I, I think the hardest thing, Nick, and I'm sure you can attest to this is not really so much putting all this information together, but trying to condense it in a way that's, you know, palatable within 40 minutes to an hour, because I feel like each of these teams, we could talk at nauseum for hours about each one of these teams. You could. And, you know, it's, it's just so many things that are dynamic, right? So many things that are changing from the roster to, you know, points. And, you know, and I think, like you said, you know, you can spend so much time, and more so directed at what we've seen in the past. And the funny thing is we're trying to use that information to predict the future, which, you know, here's our crystal ball. Oh, wait, it's not there. Um, so, you know, um, but you're trying to make sense of, you know, trends that you think are going to be there or trends that um, it might be there this year that maybe weren't there last year. Um, you know, it's, 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 I don't want to say it's difficult, but you know, you're in the, you know, if I was in the prediction world, thank goodness I'm not in Vegas and, you know, studying betting <laughs> odds, I would not be yeah. very good at that. Um, but like you said, um, it's worth a discussion nonetheless. And I think what's cool about this conference and speaking the NCHC is, you know, regardless of, of the teams that we've already covered um, early on in, in this preview series or the ones that we're about to preview the next couple of weeks is, you know, there's a lot of things at this time of the year that are like, hey, if these pieces go right, hey, they mm -hmm. could have a successful season. And you take anybody out of this conference and put them in any other conference, uh, they are doing okay. So, I mean, it, it's one of those where, you know, yeah, we have this prediction order. Yeah. We could talk at nauseum, but at the end of the day, uh, the teams and the players, are got to fight it out for themselves. And we're just happy to be a part of their journey starting here in the next, what, four weeks. Yeah. And going through, you know, teams like Denver, like North Dakota, who obviously if you haven't figured out is going to be number one for us on this list. And I don't think there's much separation, maybe a point or two between Denver and North Dakota this upcoming season. Uh, both mm -hmm. these freshman classes coming in uh, are definitely going to make for an intriguing case. Uh, the biggest thing when we're taking a look at, at some of these teams too, and trying to balance that, you know, past success and that sort of thing you know who's going out who's coming in what do we know about the players already what do they lose in terms of their dynamic and the great thing about the nchc is like you mentioned there's so many of these performers that have a chance to potentially pop out and be success stories in this league and be success stories quickly um we did this preview last year and it was more a chance for us to really kind of review and take a look at each of these teams and we were so so wrong in our previews mm -hmm. because of how many things changed and the fun thing is Yes, we do St. Cloud State hockey. That's primarily what we cover. And, you know, it's fun to have our Huskies fans who, you know, we mention who, uh, you know, who 
fans essentially wanted uh, to know who was going to be picked first by us. Um, number one in the previews and it was actually 15 to 11 in favor of Denver. So we're going against the fans a little bit. Um, and it wasn't, yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah. And it, and, it, and it wasn't, and it wasn't a sleight of hand type of thing. Uh, even though, and someone had humorously commented the Huskies as well, which is where I'm going with this, even though we cover St. Cloud hockey, looking at this Denver roster from last season, looking at the points, some of these guys put up, looking at some of the team stats, it's so exciting to look at it. It's so much fun. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you hate the Gophers. If the Gophers are the best team in the country and their goal differential is plus 90 next season, it's fun to watch. It's exciting to see how good some of these teams really can be. So, um, you know, we enjoy it. We have a lot of fun. The hardest part actually about these previews, I think, Nick, before we jump into the actual one, I'm sure Piles fans are like, oh, my God, get on with it. Um, the hardest part about it is actually after we finish the previews and we go back to a show that has a little bit less structure, um, mm-hmm. kind of forget how to say words, or in our case, we never really knew how. But what I can tell you, Nick, Magnus Arena uh, was built and finished in 1999, capacity of 6,026 in Denver, Colorado. That is the home site of now the defending national champion Denver Pioneers from last season. Uh, they did finish uh, first in the NCHC with 53 points. They won that tiebreaker technically-ish with North Dakota. They kind of split the Penrose, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. Finished fourth out of 59 with a 7.46 winning percentage in the pairwise. Actually finished behind Western Michigan, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, overall record of 31-9-1 with a 7.68 winning percentage. And conference-wise, a 7.50 winning percentage, 18-6 and six in the NCHC, including an unbelievable 17-1-1 record at home, almost unbeatable in their own building. Speaking of uh, that barn from 1999, 10-7 and on the road, 4-1 in neutral sites. We all know how those four games went. Uh, mm-hmm. And over time, pretty successful in that regard as well, too. So 42 games overall for this team, 24 in the conference, 10 non-conference, an exhibition win against Lindenwood to start the season last year. Three conference uh, playoff games and then some NCAA tournament that went pretty well. For David Carl and his staff in his sixth season, his contract just got extended through 2027. Lifetime, he is 86, 43, and three with this team. Uh, let's start with him before we get to the assistant coaches and goaltending coaches. Nick, uh, you're a big fan of David Carl. You met him yes. personally a couple of times. He's a straight shooter, very honest about where his team's at. Uh, would you say, uh, first of all, you think he's earned that contract? Uh, if, if you don't think he does, you need to check uh, your headspace. Uh, seriously, um, he's a competitor. Um, through in and throughout. And he really took personal ownership of the way that the 2020-21 season went. He really felt like they missed some things in their preparation in terms of their team bonding, which um, affected their on-ice product. And, you know, it's it's funny how you have certain players or, or maybe it's personalities that will look at, you know, kind of externally for reasons. Uh, David Carl's a guy that looks internally. Um, and shall we say, you know, when I see he's a gamer, uh, Let's go back to the NCHC uh, uh, playoffs. Um, I got the impression um, after their first uh, semifinal loss in that game, yeah. just looking at the way they played. Now, granted, their their seat in the NCAA table was set. It wasn't really going to move. There was a bit of chess there. Um, there was 100% some chess there. Um, they yeah. played a very passive game. Um, they didn't really try to run and gun an offense. They were avoiding a lot of physical contact and essentially were like, yeah, this is great, but we don't really care about this, shall I say? We care about what's next week. And uh, let's just say they t- uh, you know, they got maybe a couple of bounces early, uh, but when a push came to shove and they went uh, the distance there out in Boston, they were ready to play, and they were the best team in the country lifting uh, 
uh, the uh, the national championship trophy over their heads. Um, this David Carl. He's a great communicator. He's a great developer. He's a great teacher. Um, he's a guy that he knows how to connect with young players. Again, he's not that old either for those, yeah. you know, he, he's, he's kind of fresh. And again, um, he's the perfect man for the job right now in Denver. And uh, now with some national championship cred to his, um, to his name, gets that extension. Um, I know some people are like, well, will ever, you know, it, would he essentially get NHL looks now? one national championship doesn't do that to you. Now yeah. if you start making the frozen four year in and year out. Uh, maybe that contract, you don't live it out. But right now, David Carl is the man and for Denver fans and for uh, Denver players, no question. They're happy to have him as the, uh, the big boss man. Two frozen four appearances for him to his credit. Uh, he is 50% in the winning percentage 500 in case we were curious on that one. Uh, look at that math coming out of uh, nowhere here. I don't know why. Maybe this is a very off topic thing. I'm sure a lot of you have seen HBO's band of brothers. Every time I see his profile picture, he reminds me of the character, um, you know, who ends up um, playing Dick Winters uh, in uh, band of brothers. I don't know why, probably because they both have red hair. I have no idea. Um, but nonetheless, a great hockey coach too, as you alluded yes. to, I don't really have anything to add on that regard as well. Uh, assisting him a very good crew as well too. Um, Tavis McMillan in his eighth season, uh, his photo on the Denver website, great photo of him. Looks like, like an 1800s portrait about inner conflict. Like the way that he's just <laughs> surveying things on the bench. It's just, it's one of those, like you look at it and like, I'm not saying it should be in an art gallery or anything, but you'll have to take a look at it if you get a chance. It's just, it's an interesting photo i think just very like a smoldering intense look um but also looks kind of like dejected too must have been something going on i'm not really sure but um a season for him dallas ferguson the other assistant coach in his fifth year a great photo of him as well on the website just snapping the puck around in practice you'll love to see it um mm -hmm. Then the goaltending uh, volunteer coach, Ryan Massa, in his second season, former University of Nebraska Omaha netminder uh, up until 2015, and then spent two years in the ECHL with the Orlando Solar Bears. So in pretty good hands uh, there in Denver, quite obviously. Last season, it's no secret they had a lot of wins against a lot of teams, Nick. Uh, the team they beat the most, the Miami Redhawks, with six total victories. Uh, St. Cloud was bested four times, swept by mm -hmm. this Pioneers team, as was Colorado College and Arizona State, even though they're a non-conference. Duluth beaten three times, but also was the only team to beat Denver three times last and, season. So, and the only team, I think, that won in Magnus Arena, if I recall. Yeah, so um, pretty interesting, uh, you know, little matchup for them in all six games between the Bulldogs and the Pios. Uh, going back over Western Michigan and Omaha, they each were bested by Denver three times. Air Force was beaten twice. Minnesota State lost once to them. Um, Yikes. Yeah. Uh, Michigan uh, also won loss. UMass Lowell, Alaska Fairbanks, and Lindenwood were the other victories for Denver. On the other side, as we already mentioned, the Bulldogs, North Dakota beating this team twice. Uh, Western that was Michigan, early on, wasn't it? That was yeah, early in the season, yes. Yeah, and I believe they only met um, – for one matchup, as far as I can tell. So uh, North Dakota winning that matchup. Uh, Western Michigan beating them one time. Omaha actually beat them once as well. Uh, and then Providence and Boston College, each with a single victory. I totally forgot about that. They went out for this that holiday swing. tournament, mm -hmm. and they lost that first game, like a 6-5 game to Providence, and then just got shelled um, by BC in the next night in terms of the scoreboard. Only one tie for them last season, and it was a true tie. No shootout for them. Uh, uh, Alaska Fairbanks is who they tied with in a 4-4 hockey game, but they did outshoot the Nanooks by a tally of 47 to 21 in that contest. So uh, Nanooks hanging on for dear life in that one. Uh, Nick, I'm going to start with this stat here. Um, two of them, I guess. Uh, when out shooting their opponent, they were 29, five and one last season. Um, average. 
when they were outshot by opponent, they were two and three. So they were only outshot five times and tied with a team on shots once. So six total there for those who are doing some basic math. Can you name any of the five opponents that outshot the Pios last season? Had to have been North Dakota. North Dakota is uh, two of them, one outshot and one tie. So the North Dakota one was the second time they were outshot last season, November 6th. 28 to 22 was the margin of four to one loss for the Pios. And then the one Western that they Michigan. Uh, let's see here. Nope. Western Michigan isn't one. I'll give you a chance. One more. See if you can get one more here. Hmm. Minnesota state. Minnesota state is correct. Yes. The national championship game, 28 to 20 was the margin mm-hmm. for the Mavericks, but they did lose by a score of five to one to Denver, North Dakota tied them the night before they outshot them. Um, 23-23, um, and that was a 3-1 to one loss for Denver. Um, Boston College, that game where they lost 5-1, to one, um, they were outshot by 1, 28-27. Uh, and then, actually, Arizona State, December 3rd, a 6-2 win for uh, Denver, but they were outshot 33-29. to 29. Um, And then, uh, a se- excuse me, Duluth in the NCHC frozen faceoff was the other one. They were outshot by 1 in that 2 to nothing loss. So, um, yeah, this team was not playing from behind both in the scoreboard and in terms of uh, shot margins as well, too. In fact, uh, shots by period differential uh, is plus 169. Pretty impressive for them. Uh, goal scoring differential plus 82 last season, plus 46 in period number two for this team. They were just ridiculously ridiculously good they average exactly two goals more four per game overall um and just under that in the conference i mean they were just dominant lights out 21 one and one when scoring first and 10 and eight even when they got scored on first so nick this is a team that um was five and two in one goal game so they you could tell the margins were pretty big in a lot of their contests too mm-hmm. and they were winning a lot of these games and somehow they were still a sleeper team last year when it came towards the end of the season. Why do you think that was when we saw the body of success that they had, obviously in the NCHC, but also just statistically? I mean, these are some great numbers. You know, I think the biggest question mark was, you know, essentially could their offense, which, you know, in, in playoff type scenarios with how good they have been generally takes a step back. Uh, it, the games generally get tighter. Um, they, they get more low scoring. They get more defensive heavy, um, especially, you know, you know, the one-off games. And uh, dare we say Denver, one thing we forgot about them was, uh, yeah, they usually outscored, you know, folks by multiple margins but they also were okay in those close games and i think the expectation was that these were unsustainable numbers for a playoff run um but we've also forgot that they had a guy by the name of magnus corona in that who uh uh, dare i say he's pretty good um and the defensive core i think was underrated too um I, i really do think that um just their open style of play. And I don't know if open's the best way to describe it, but just more um, skating heavy, you know, I guess not more like your Minnesota state. I think they got a lot of the um, attention for kind of their lockdown style. Um, I think there were people I thought maybe if these guys matched up that that would rank trouble for them. And to be fair for 45, 50 minutes of the national championship game, they were um, until they figured out a way to break through. And I think that's where they were kind of maybe, uh, I don't know if doubt is the word, but not given maybe, you know, enough of a chance. But um, as we've seen in, with teams in the NCHC past, was it five out of the last six or four last five or national champions coming from this yeah. conference? Uh, you're built to win the big games and uh, Denver proved a lot of people wrong. 
Yeah. So Nick, I just lied to all of our listeners and viewers. I was looking at that shots by, yeah. Well, I I was looking at the shots by period and I was like, boy, that just seems a little bit low. I lied. It was not plus 169. Uh, Nick, the shot differential for this Pios team was actually plus plus 528. Um, Yeah, they averaged, and I'll say it again, they averaged plus 12.4 shots more per game, not like overall, and plus 13.08 more shots per game in the conference. 13 more shots more per night in the conference. Jeez. 36.9 shots per game compared to just over 24 for their opponents. I mean, just like that's insane. Um, That's just dominance at its best here. When leading after one, uh, they didn't lose a game. Uh, When leading after two, they only lost one. Uh, Tied games, they were pretty dominant as well uh trailing they were seven and six when they were trailing after period number one and three and seven after period number two so um took almost three penalties and minutes less than their opponents last season too um power play was all right 49 tucks for them last year just under 24 percent pretty decent little clip for that team um only 79 percent of the penalty kill though they did allow 34 power play goals um on 163 kills so not terrible, but not exceptional, exceptional. Um, but then again, mm-hmm. they really didn't have to rely on that, and they really weren't shorthanded a ton uh, last mm-hmm. season. So, Nick, when you look at teams like this, and of course St. Cloud went through this a couple of years ago, what do you think David Carl uh, got this group ready for as they approached, obviously, the frozen faceoff and then into tournament time to not only being a well-oiled machine, but, you know, capitalizing not even so much on special teams, but just being this suffocating team at five on five. Because as you alluded to, especially in the pod a couple of years ago, they just could never really get over the hump. They finished in fifth place in the NCHC. We looked at them and said, ah, they're a dark horse, but I don't really know if all the pieces are going to come together. And I, I, I don't, I mean, the machine was just incredible last season. It was. And I think the biggest thing is patience. Honestly, if you look at it and again, I refer to the national championship game. Um, they were, you know, essentially suffocated for the better part of that game. Minnesota yeah. state had them where they wanted to. And if there's one thing that I think David Carl does so well is, you know, now he's constantly talking to his players on the bench and just more like sticking with the game plan, right? Um, not forcing things, not getting out of your structure and just, you know, staying the course, I think. And especially in playoff games um, and one-off games, such as the NCAA tournament, you have to be able to stick to your guns. And that's where the emotional checks and balances have to be there, right? Good coaches know how to get their players uh, to whether you're up five to one um, to just be like, Hey, Guys, it's there's 10 minutes left. This game ain't over with. Just keep keep fighting, keep through, keep doing what you're doing. Or in the opposite, hey, there's still 10 minutes left, guys. Keep pushing. Let's keep keep doing the same things. We'll get a break. Don't worry about it, right? And we saw that. I think that's really what drove the difference with Denver was you never saw them really get too high. You never really saw them get too low. Um, and they did the same thing night in, night out, and they executed it at a high level. And uh, a big reason why I think um, they turned the tides and, uh, again, are national champions from this last season. Yeah, certainly agree. Uh, 26 players dotting their roster last season, a graduate along with four seniors, five juniors, seven sophomores, and nine freshmen for that crew. We're going to start with just the forwards here because there is a lot to dissect with this uh, forward group and the top top five forwards here. Some guy that you actually have met personally, uh, junior Bobby Brink last season, uh, played Mm -hmm. in every contest, uh, had 43 apples and 57 total points, a 1.39 points per game clip. Five power play tucks to go along with a plus 27 rating last season for him. Not too shabby. Carter Savoy. 
uh, sophomore last season. Uh, 39 games played for him at 45 points, 23 goals, 22 assists, a very well-rounded, very balanced offensive threat. Mm-hmm. 1.15 points per game, 11 power play goals, the most on the team, and a plus 21 rating. Cole Gutman, who was a senior last season, every contest for him had the same number of points with 45. Uh, four power play goals and a plus 20 rating. Brett Stapley was also in that senior class. Uh, 43 points for him, similar points per game pace, same number of power play goals with four and a plus 22 rating. And then Carter Mazur, of course, just finished his campaign at the World Juniors uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Looking at him, 41 games played, a .93 points per game clip, five power play points uh, and a plus 23 rating for 38 points for him on the season. And I would be remiss if I also didn't mention that graduate forward Cameron Wright also had nine power play goals last season as well on the forward side. Nick, this is a group where a lot of these guys are now gone, unfortunately, for this Denver club, but mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to see why. They were just too good, too cool for school, man. Well, a lot of them also NHL draft picks. You mentioned Bobby Brink signing his pro deal with the Philadelphia Flyers. Carter Savoy, I believe, was it Edmonton. in Calgary? Edmonton. Yep, that's yeah. right. Thanks You're for jumping the gun here. I man. know. But how could you not want to? I mean, these guys, exceptional season. Exceptional season. So, um, And then actually just recently, Brett Stapley signing with uh, um, the Montreal uh, farm team down there um, in Laval. Yes. So that's uh, that's some some new news. Yeah, so. What? Just, just gonna steal all my stuff over here. You I'm, wanna run the show now? No, I'm just kidding. Hand over the keys. Let's go. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Our, so our, our top story tonight, the bus has crashed. Anyway. It's crashed and <laughs> fell off a cliff. Yeah. Uh, but but when you have that talent, right, and you get to the ultimate goal, right? The the natural thing is what's the next challenge? And for these players, right? Um, a lot of them upperclassmen, some we're gonna be moving on regardless, right? Um, it shows you just the level and the depth of talent that they have that um there was and, and that's what bounds, you know, bounds to happen to these teams is you're gonna have turnover. Um, and the bigger question for Denver as a franchise is how do you replace it? And more so, how do you keep the train rolling in terms of, you know, players coming in? And I'm assuming we're going to talk about this, but their incoming class, whether it's freshmen or dare I say some transfers or mm-hmm. some, um, uh, they've got some good people coming in. Um, that's going to keep them in while a big reason why we have them up as high as we do. Yeah, sure do. Mike Benning, who was a sophomore last season, all 41 games for him, 38 points, a .93 points per game clip on the back end, plus 32 rating to go along with four power play goals too. What an exceptional season for him last year. And Mm -hmm. then uh, Sean Behrens, who was a freshman last year, a freshman, uh, 37 points or games played 29 points in those 37 games. Um, Really trailing behind Nick in this points per game category, though, with a .78 points per game clip. He needs to really figure it out there i don't know what that's all about come on man no that's pretty exceptional i, know, right? I mean that that point per game clip is um exceeding most of the defensive core and even some of the forward cores for some of the other nchg teams we've covered that's how good the piles were last season plus nine for him uh in the plus minus uh goaltending wise magnus corona was a junior last year played in 37 contests 28 8 and 1 a 2 1 1 goals against and a 9 11 save percentage uh in just under 2200 minutes for him uh, defense one I want to hear your take on quite obviously, but uh, Magnus Corona has been a curious case uh, in the NCHC ever since he started playing for Denver. Um, and the knock on him last year a little bit maybe was, you know, had a really good team in front of him. But the knock on him is that he hasn't really found that extra gear yet. Mm-hmm. He didn't really need it last year, which, you know, thankfully right. for Denver. Um, you know, is he a guy that you think uh, is a bit underrated and doesn't get enough love? Or, I mean, what, what is your opinion on him? 
Well, you still have to be able to stop the puck, right? It, you know, and especially yeah. in playoff games, you know, you're trying to you're trying to find the chink in the armor, right? And I think for opposing teams, um, we saw that with Corona. There were times in the national championship game and throughout the NCAA tournament, you didn't have to do it often, but you need your goaltender to come up with that key save and key moments, and he did that. Um, I'm not sure if he's underrated or overrated, Noah, but I do think you are correct that I do think he does benefit from a really good system in front of him. You talked about defense been Sean Barron's a Colorado Avalanche draft pick I believe a second rounder if I recall and uh let's just say this uh he was at uh I believe their rookie or prospect camp not that long ago and uh, was really turning some heads and uh, you mentioned his point total uh, that might give you an impression as to why so I do think there's a little bit of both um I think Corona is a good goaltender I don't know if he steals the show like I, or it's going to be a focal point, like say a Caden and Berko uh, down there in Colorado College. Uh, but you know what? Like you said, he doesn't have to be. And I think that's, and I think, I think that's important for Denver fans to understand is he's a capable goaltender. He's already won you one national championship. And, you know, what's, let's compare this to a guy not that far. Well, how about Darcy Kemper? He was nothing special. He's won a Stanley Cup. So a lot yeah. of the times you're going to have that balance where you can make the key saves you need to, but you don't have to maybe steal a game here and there. You got a good formula for Magnus Corona. He's good enough. And again, he made the saves when he needed to. Certainly did, and now is a national champion. As is for Bobby Brink, uh, of course, as you mentioned, signed with Philadelphia. Chuck Fletcher, don't mess it up, or just tell us how you're going to do it. Uh, Carter, Carter Savoy, great season for him last year with the Edmonton franchise in Bakersfield right now. Defenseman Reed Irwin um, is transferring to Colgate. He'll be a, a mm-hmm. junior. Uh, for Jack Works, who will be a sophomore, uh, over to Michigan Tech. Um, two incoming freshmen that were supposed to come in have moved. Samu Salomon is going to Connecticut. He's actually a third rounder of the Devils back from 2021. And then uh, defenseman Seth Bernard Docker, um, sophomore, is headed to Bentley. He is not coming to Denver, um, I believe, related to related to uh, um, Jacob. Yeah, Jacob. I was blanking on his first name. Thank you. Uh, former University of North Dakota uh, product. Uh, graduating players. Cameron Wright was a graduate player last year. He actually signed uh, with Colorado. He's the with Eagles, the Eagles yeah. right now. Uh, Cole Gutman signed with Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, Brett Stapy, like you mentioned, with Laval and the Montreal organization. Um, Ryan Barrow, who was a senior forward last year with the Manchester Storm in the Elite Ice Hockey League in the UK. So um, pretty exciting for him. Uh, the only returning um, players staying for their graduate year out of that senior class is defenseman Kyle Mayhew, who had a season uh, and career high of two goals, nine assists, and 11 points last year from the back end. And then the incoming transfers, Nick, uh, forward Casey Dornbach, who's a graduate from Harvard, uh, goaltender Tristan Bros, who's going to be a sophomore. He's coming from the University of Minnesota. Oh. Uh, yeah, and then Tyler Haskins is going to be a freshman who was included in our freshman class. He comes from Michigan, uh, so he ended up doing the reverse of what those other two players did for the Pirates coming in this season here, Nick. So uh, you look at adding a goaltender like Tristan Bros, who, of course, has the experience. He's not a on... goaltender. He's a forward. Oh, I don't know why I wrote. Yeah. So I say that for a couple of reasons why yeah. I saw he skated at the at the beauty league. Um, he yeah. was there quite often. Um, and I think for Gophers fans, it stung. He did already have his Denver gear that he was wearing yeah. um, there during the beauty league. And uh, well, let's just say this. Apparently the bros, if your last name is bros, you want to stay away from either Bob Mott school or the university of Minnesota. Cause wasn't his brother that decommitted and it's now going to yeah. Wisconsin. Um, and uh, a lot of upside with Tristan. Um, I think he kind of felt like he was not being utilized uh, enough uh, with the Gophers. Um, yeah. Don't don't get me wrong. He I don't get the same 
feeling that he will be uh, used the same way here with David Carl and the Denver Pioneers. I think he's going to be a potential breakout uh, for Denver trying to replace against some of that offense they lost here in this offseason. Yeah, certainly should. And again, we talked about the Magnus Corona piece too. You know, obviously paying attention to that goaltending uh, wherever it may come from, right? Uh, two graduate players, four seniors, four juniors, nine sophomores, and seven freshmen for another crew of 26 this season. 15 forwards, eight guys in the back end, and three net miners. Five of those forwards are freshmen, and two defensemen are freshmen for a crew of seven coming in for this upcoming squad here, Nick. Some good hockey players. Um, mm-hmm. Why don't we start with the defensemen, shall we? Sure. Uh, Lucas Oldsteads coming from Stockholm, Sweden, six foot one, 190 pound, left handed, 2002, uh, 22 points in 60 contests, um, and a couple more tallies uh, with Dubuque and the Fighting Saints in the USHL last season for him. And then Kent Anderson coming from Calgary, Alberta. He's a 2003, but is 6'3, 205 pounds. Yeah, right handed uh, back end. Uh, stalwart 62 games with the green bay gamblers in the ushl last year 28 points for him um was a very non-penalized player was also on the ushl all rookie second team last season so two defensemen coming in to kind of round out uh that defensive core here uh certainly some pretty good additions i would say yeah, and it fits the mold, I think, what Denver is looking for. A little bit more that stayed home, you know, good two-way players. Nothing like a, a Kale McCarr-esque, but guys, like almost like a Jonas Berdeen where you can move the puck, you've got good skating, you play your angles well, you can have a big body presence if needed. Um, we haven't touched on this guy because he's not a freshman, but a sophomore that's coming back that I think um, helps make this a little bit uh, better. How about Shai Buinum? Um, six foot three sophomore in a San Diego man. Did he turn heads uh, last season as a freshman? Um, you talk about the the transition a lot, right? From between juniors or a, a different college and how just, you know, a defenseman can, you know, be such an impact player. Shy Buiam to me was one of those guys, a really big bright spot. And uh, what will that will do to this Denver roster? Again, only two freshman defensemen is they'll take some pressure off of them. Um, I like the, the sizing and David Carl liking his size in the back end. They were really tough to get to the interior, especially in front of their crease uh, with the Pioneers. They really protected their goaltender well. A big reason, again, why we say Magus Kroma didn't have to be um, a Marc-Andre Fleury sometimes uh, to overplay the puck. Uh, I say that a lot. Yes, I did. Sorry. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but uh, again, it fits the mold. And uh, this is exactly the type of player that uh, David Carl and his staff are looking for as far as defensemen are concerned. Yeah, it certainly is. And no, not not exactly the flashiest of numbers, but sometimes you're looking for that. You're looking for a couple of guys that are utilitarian that you can slot in. You know, maybe you pair pair them with uh, different defensive pairings and give them some shelter minutes, or maybe put them with a veteran player on the back end and let them acclimate that sort of way too. So a lot of good things and a lot of success for the back end for the Pios coming into their freshman group of two. Uh, on the forward side, well, let's talk about Tyler Haskins, of course, because he's coming from Michigan and that little uh, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Rochester, Minnesota native, 6'1", 170-pound, left-handed, 2003. A couple of younger guys in this group here. Uh, 45 points, 20 goals, 25 assists in 52 games with Madison uh, in the USHL last season. Uh, had seven points in 12 playoff games as well. Um, third on the team with 20 goals and participated in the BioSteel All-American game this past season. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I'd say a pretty good uh, little get back for the pioneers there to start. Yeah, very much. So the Rochester, Minnesota native, right? Um, I mm-hmm. think that the big thing um, again, when we, when we watch guys at the, uh, at the junior level and they have that success, right? Um, the other thing that you kind of like to see is just some of this other 
dare we say experience right uh the biosteel all-american uh game uh granted it's it's sort of a showcase but they're not just inviting everybody uh again biosteel uh, you know very big supporter of the game of hockey especially north of the border where they're based in toronto um but again uh, you know eight what was it uh 27 points in 51 contest again with sioux falls uh a couple of years ago so progression was there um mm-hmm. what i'm kind of curious about is you know what does that progression now look like for him as he gets into a system that i think is going to really benefit him especially as a big forward again as you mentioned he's a bigger body um and i think with the denver's makeup i think he will make a, a kind of more seamless transition and uh, as you mentioned uh I, I think he's going into a spot uh, with him. We, we don't talk about the culture enough with Denver, but it's a championship culture. Um, it doesn't matter which player throw into that. They're going to benefit from that as well. Certainly agree. Let's talk about uh, kind of pair these last couple in terms of size. we got two of the smaller forwards here and two of the taller forwards here. So um, Tristan, I think it's Lemur. Maybe it's Lemire. I think it's Lemur um, from Mirabelle, Quebec, 5'9", 170, right-handed, 2001 shot, getting ready for his age-out season. Essentially, he has to come to the college game. And production-wise, he certainly earned that opportunity. 87 points and 107 career contests with Dubuque in the USHL. Had 50 points and 57 uh, contests last season uh, with the Fighting Saints. And then on the other side of that, the 5'11", 170-pound left-handed 2002, Aiden Thompson from Fort Collins, Colorado. Two seasons with the Lincoln Stars in the USHL for him. Uh, almost a point-per-game player, 116 tallies and 117 career games. Is pretty much a playmaker setup guy, 82 assists for him over that time. Alternate captain last season, um, 82 points and 57 outings last year, 58 assists last season. Second team USHL All-Star Team Honors uh, is a 90th overall round three selection by Chicago in the previous draft this past summer. So a couple of smaller water bugs, but Nick, uh, as we've been able to see, these uh, guys that maybe can't ride the Ferris wheel can certainly play some hockey. Uh, so Lemire, as, as we think we're, we're, we might be butchering that, uh, he looks to be <clears throat> a sort of the replacement for Carter Savoy, um, a shoot for a sky again, 42 goals. Um, my goodness. And, and if I recall correctly, Savoy wasn't that big of a, of a guy either. And, um, are, and are you about to tell me that Aiden Thompson is the replacement for a guy named, you know? another playmaker that might be it, it, it might be yeah. yeah so uh but again a good mix right so you, yeah. you need a guy that can shoot you need a guy that can feed him the puck and create space and uh you know maybe draw some attention with possession and you know again you try to create some confusion in the defensive zone um and again the big the big asking piece of all of this with freshmen is what does that transition look like again when you're playing in the top leagues uh, such as the ushl that it seems like as we go through this year and year know that these transitions um are getting a bit smoother um, for some of these kids. And you have to, again, credit a lot of it to USA hockey, a lot of it to the USHL for getting these kids ready to go, because overall it's really going to help the game. I think it really has already. We've seen that with, uh, uh, with the USA national development program and the recent first round picks that they've had um, almost kind of sliding the hand of Canada a little bit. Yeah, but nonetheless, uh, these two players uh, definitely good. Like you said, water bugs—they're going to be buzz saws. They're going to be creating some havoc, and uh, you know, you, you don't have to be big, but you do have to be sometimes creative and have a good IQ and a view of the ice. And uh, from what we can see with some of these guys' most recent uh, accomplishments, uh, I think they're going to be just fine. 
certainly agree. Two more players left in the freshman class, both forwards, obviously. The only other USHL product uh, coming from the Omaha Lancers, uh, 34 points in 59 games um, and a couple of points in four postseason contests with the team last year. Third in scoring and rookie of the year for the Lancers as well. Also was in that All-American game. That is Jared Wright from Burnsville, Minnesota, 6'2", 176. The 2002 was a right-handed shot and also uh, round six selection of the Los Angeles Kings in this past draft at number 169. So a guy that's more of a grittier presence, kind of a bigger body, power forward type build. Uh, you kind of need that on the front end too. I know that the Pioneers have largely been built a little bit more around probably a closer mix to speed and skill as opposed to big bodies. But uh, as we've seen, especially when it comes national tournament time, you need a couple of trees in front of the net that are able to uh, you know, get those grease pan garbage goals. There's two players that come to mind that I think really were underappreciated with Denver's latest, and that was Cole Gutman and yep. Brett Stapley. Not be just because, you know, they could not only just be the trees, but they're fork-checking pressure. They were always on pucks. They could match a little bit of that sandpaper with their skill in terms of, you know, at least slowing down or at least giving the opposing defenseman uh, a little bit of a hard time breaking out. They could create turnovers, and then when they got the puck on their stick, after they created that turnover, um, they had the skill and the hockey IQ to make something of it of an offensive chance um this kind of screams similar to me in terms of this guy's makeup where you have a little bit of that style where you can go in you can be a heavy body but more so uh just create hell in the forecheck um that's david carl's style was if i'm going to dump the puck and i'm going to make sure that i have a I, I have a chance to get a first touch on it and if i don't i'm going to make the defenseman's life a living you know what try to get out of their zone so this this makeup of this player reminds me of those two players, which I think were really big keys to the big long run of their championship uh, last year. You know who, uh, another person that I thought was underrated that kind of reminds me of the similar build to 21 points for him last season. That was Ryan Barrow, um, yes. yeah. you know, and looking him, you know, six two, one eighty five. 185. Uh, you know, obviously was an integral part of that national championship game, um, you know, but he's another player that I kind of look at him too and kind of see that similar mold as well too. So exciting times here for the Pioneers and exciting times for the state of Minnesota as the last player we're going to have our eyes on for sure. Regan Lorenz, uh, the Calgary, Alberta, six foot two, 190 pound left-handed 2004, very young uh, player that is getting ready to come in. True freshman. Yeah. Why are we talking about Minnesota when uh, we're talking about the team out in Colorado? Well, Minnesota Wild, round two, number 56 in this past summer's draft. Uh, he is a Minnesota Wild product here and had some pretty good seasons. The Okotoks Oilers, um, the AJHL, we've talked about them quite a bit with some of these recruits coming yes, in. So they have. Uh, it's been pretty impressive. Um, led the Oilers in all three scoring categories. That would be goals, assists, and points from uh, the math that I can tell. Uh, 85 points in 60 games, as well as 11 points in 14 playoff contests for him last season. Rookie of the Year for the league, Canadian Junior Hockey League top rookie of the year. Um, All-rookie and all-star team, um, and also had four assists in four games at the Under-18 World Championships for Team Canada um, for the 2022 tournament. So, Nick, this is... Uh, someone that we've had our eye on for a little bit. Now we talked about mm -hmm. him a little bit when we were talking about the wild draft picks. Um, you know, if you're a Denver fan, what are you looking forward to here? He's a game breaker. Um, he really is. Uh, he does have that talent level. You don't get picked in the second round by a mistake, uh, unless you're Minnesota wild. Uh, anyway, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I should say past for past regimes, maybe, yeah. um, drafting playoff success. Great. If playoff we can ever success. actually get to a second round. But. Right. Uh, but no, uh, he has all the tools to, to be a quite the offensive force. And again, I think he will be like we discussed with Magnus Corona and other, um, he's going to be the recipient 
developing up a good system that's going to allow him to, uh, shall we say, maximize his talents. Again, when you look at this roster as a whole and you see the different skill sets, you see the different mix and the balance up and down this lineup. Uh, Granny is a freshman, so there's a learning curve to it as well. But um, again, the uh, Octox Oilers and, the, and more importantly, the Alberta Junior Hockey League, um, I think the as we discussed this previously, the fourth most in terms of college recruitments, in terms of which um, uh, I should say organization or, or, or uh, league. Yeah. league they're coming from. Yeah. Um, so a big part of that, in fact, uh, the St. Clair State Huskies are getting one themselves, and Ethan mm-hmm. O'Coin, uh, from a different um, team, but still the same league. So, uh, yeah, the, the the Canadian players, and I think maybe we haven't talked about this enough, Noah. Too, it's one thing to get the high level 10, no matter what, but to get them out of Canada where the number one goal is to try to make the CHL, you're starting to attract a lot of good talent that maybe by terms of maybe by their book, maybe late bloomers, maybe there's some tools there. Uh, You know, it's good that the NCAA game is attracting these players too, because let's face it, fourth, most out of any league coming to the NCAA. These are some exciting players to watch and, they're NHL draft picks, so that the quality of the depth of talent, not just for Denver, for across the NCAA, is getting better. Yeah, and the CHL obviously has some support for this too. But I think the opportunity, and you know, not every player is like this, but you know, there are a fair number of opportunities for these guys, you know, to get a good education with some potential scholarship things too. Um, to mm-hmm. be able to get an education and play hockey, I think, is a big get for a lot of these guys, especially like you mentioned. Uh, when you look at Rieger, he's a 2004, right? He's a young kid, true freshman, like you had mentioned. So, uh, you know, taking a look at that piece too, to thinking about career-wise of some things, you know, maybe just don't pan out in the hockey world. That happens. Um, but I think the Minnesota Wild and the Denver Pioneers are certainly getting a good get from the AJ, as are a lot of other teams, as we've seen from the recruiting classes uh, in yes. the previous previews. So if you're bored, go check those out. I would. Also, if you're hanging out in Denver or any other area, I've actually been to Magnus Arena. Um, we got to see Troy Terry talk against Arizona State, actually, right after he scored the game-winning shootout goal for the World Junior Championships uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, first half schedule, they start an exhibition contest October 1st against the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. They're at home against Notre Dame in Maine the following weekend. Uh, then they travel the 14th and 15th of October to UMass for a non-conference matchup. Then they're back home against Providence. And then uh, they actually start their NCHC schedule one week earlier than most other teams. Uh, they do play at the end of October. Their first NCHC contest is against the Miami Redhawks before uh, coming back home uh, to play the St. Cloud State Huskies. The Huskies have them very early this season, which is actually not mm-hmm. far for the course. Usually they have him no, a, a little bit later in like late January, early February. So uh, November 11th and 12th, they're headed up to Grand Forks in North Dakota. Uh, 25th and 26th at home against Omaha. Uh, weekend of my birthday, December 2nd and 3rd, uh, Arizona State comes to town to visit the Pios. Uh, the 9th and 10th of December, Duluth uh, will be the location for their next contest. And then actually, before the second half gets rolled, they do have a matchup at home the 16th and 17th of December, right before the holidays against Lindenwood, who is making their jump here to uh, the Division I realm. So uh, first half schedule, all right, I, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. You think? Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, January 6th and 7th, they actually get uh, kind of one week off now for that time. They don't play at the tail end of December like a lot of other teams do. They get Alaska Fairbanks at home to start out the second half before getting right back to conference action the rest of the way. 
Miami will visit them at home, followed by a trip to St. Cloud January 20th and 21st. That's more akin to what we've kind of seen. Usually that trip in early January was the trip where the Huskies went to Denver, though. So a little bit of a flip-flop there. Uh, January 27th, which is a Friday, they will be at home against Colorado College before traveling the following Saturday, February 4th, um, to Colorado College. So you do have uh, that uh, one-game matchup for a couple weeks instead of that bye week that we had kind of talked about with Colorado College that I like that matchup. Uh, old man, yes. Yeah, sweet matchup, I think. Uh, February 10th and 11th uh, at home against North Dakota. Good to see those teams match up four times. Should be one heck of a contest in all four of those ones. Uh, February 17th and 18th, they're at home against Duluth, traveling to Western Michigan to finish out the month, and then at home and then finishing on the road that same weekend, March 3rd and 4th, against Colorado College once again. So uh, this team, Nick, before we get to the fan questions, we've kept them in suspense for over an hour here, Nick. Um, and obviously, we're going to highlight this a little bit more when we have North Dakota at number one. But I think a lot of people you know, are kind of curious as to, with both these teams so close, we do have Denver at number two. Their recruiting class obviously is exceptional, just like North Dakota's in is. Goaltending is a bit of a question mark, just like North Dakota is. These two teams have very identical structures here, Nick. I think from my perspective, and you and I kind of talked about this, where you and I had differing opinions on this too. I think if you look at this Denver team, and I certainly have high expectations for them, they could really uh, pick up the mail and carry it once again and have another great season like they did last year. I just think the top end scoring that this team lost that made them so successful, you know, your your Bobby Brinks, your Carter Savoy's, I just think it's too difficult to replace and look at them and say, yep, they're a bona fide number one team in the NCHC this year. Is that a bit harsh? I don't know. But Nick, they, you know, even Brett Stapley, these guys, Cole Gutman, guys who were in the top five and scoring on the forward end, they're going to be surely missed. And they were good 200 foot players on top of their offensive prowess. Right in all fronts, uh, you know, and despite, you know, a great coach that David Carl is, you know, when, this is the challenge of NCAA hockey. You know that every single year you're losing great players um, to whether it's just to graduation um, or to professional signings. Um, you know, again, that's that's the challenge is no matter what you do, you rarely have if any, the ever the same lineup every year after year. And um, let's go back to uh, our own Brett Larson. And I'm pretty sure David Carl has, has already had this mentality is last year's book is done. It's yep. closed. Right. And that is this year is a brand new storybook um, that has to be written and you have the pen in your hand, which means either you can, like you mentioned, you can put in the work, you can act like maybe you're the underdog, which I think, really Denver, if there's anything that I got from them last year, I kind of felt like they were out to prove something because they really weren't happy with themselves the year prior. Um, They felt like they expected more. I got that vibe from them. I'm sure others did too, because they went out and they, well, they proved their point. That's for sure. Um, But yeah, to, to finish off, uh, you know, to that is, you know, I really do think that it is a challenge to replace that offense. And granted, there's a lot of, uh, you could say, uh, uh, raw skill. There's a lot of uh, young talent that's there that's going to come in. But again, how does each transition from juniors uh, to the NCAA level? How do they fit to Denver's system? Again, do they? Uh, how well do they assimilate with the, their teammates and the, the line chemistry or the defensive pairing? Right, all these things matter mm-hmm. to a, success, a successful hockey program. And when you lose a lot of those upperclassmen who were your big point producers, that's the toughest part to replace. And Denver's going to have to try to figure that out quick if they're going to have a uh, try to replicate uh, the last season's uh, success. 
And when you make a national championship game, you know, not to say that you have a next season slump or anything like that, but it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to get back into that mm -hmm. rhythm and, you know, go through that grind again for the players that are returning quite obviously. Uh, you know, and on top of that, you just, uh, and I don't, I don't say this in a biased way at all because I, I don't like North Dakota, let's be honest with you. Um, but you look at North Dakota and we've talked about how they reload on the fly. They don't rebuild, mm -hmm. they reload. They really have this year. And the other thing whether this makes a difference or not, it's been a few years since North Dakota has had a real extended amount of success at the NCAAs. And I they're feel due. like it's, it's they're just, due. they're getting restless up there. And, you mm -hmm. know, Bradbury, I feel like, you know, has a ticking time bomb that's ready with this freshman crew that's coming up. But like I said, I mean, I look at Denver and North Dakota and it's the same thing with uh, Duluth and St. Cloud. I see a separation of a point, maybe two, maybe they even tie for the Penrose again this season. I mean, it's that close. So to say their number two is, um, I don't want to say demeaning, but almost not befitting of how good this team essentially could be again this season. So yep. um, a couple of fan questions here, Nick, to close out uh, before we get to our final wrap-ups for the Denver Pioneers. Uh, number one, I love this. This is so good. I just retweeted this because it was just that good. Caleb Peabody um, oh says, uh, why don't you wear your glasses when you come on the podcast? You need them. We all know it. And if you can't see your notes correctly, you may think we're talking about Colorado College. <laughs> Who says I'm reading notes? Yeah, well, I didn't even know you could read to begin with. So neither did I. So yeah. point, um, point, but he, point, point buried. <laughs> he also wants to know um, since you didn't listen to the prediction last year in regards to how good Denver would be, and to Caleb's credit, he did say that Denver was going to be a wagon, and we were we, we were disagreeing, but you know we he, were skeptical. He owned it, and it sure paid off for him. He wants to know: Will uh, you be taking him to Denver this year on a yacht? What's the story here? How do you get to Colorado? via water there is no water left that's what you think that's apparently i guess <laughs> i need my glass i guess i'm not seeing with my lack of glasses where where the straight uh you know river fjord whatever you want to call it's going to take me there so if you can show me the map let's let's figure it out yeah haven't you ever seen like a coors and you got the rockies man you know it just flows down the rockies and you know anyway uh Derek derek fells <laughs> wants some boat <laughs> yeah. no kidding well i they were uh the piles were definitely a boat and a half uh yeah, wagon last season uh derek felska wants to know denver racked up the rare double peat uh which is true with men's college hockey and the colorado avalanche in the nhl last season actually all... a triple peat technically with yeah. the high school yes yeah what are your odds that they can do it again and will those odds be caleb jp body approved and caleb also asked his last question will denver run it back this year i think they have a great chance they do have a good chance and again um depends on how quickly those young guns uh, can get into david carl's system um feeling comfortable in, in division one hockey again that's the biggest question with a larger freshman class and again replacing a lot of that you know, I, reliable talent, I think is the best way to describe it, right? You know, it's at the seniors, you know, yes, they, they did the points, but you could rely on them. You knew it because you could put them in situations such as those defensive zone face-offs to win something that's key. There's a lot of those little things in hockey that those upperclassmen do that don't make the score sheet or maybe get appreciated enough. We talked about that a little bit earlier uh, with freshmen. That's stuff that they have to develop and learn, and that's really the big X factor to what Denver could do as far as repeating um, or be maybe a middle-of-the-road team. We just don't know but again a lot of it's going to bend on how well this freshman class does assimilate to what david carl wants them to play like yeah this team is going to be a good team i predict they're uh, at minimum i would think going to be a top 10 team in the country um you mm -hmm. know i'm hesitant to put them, them in the top five because it's easy to say oh yeah they'll be a top five team it's so hard to get to that point you know you have to be and so good and, and 
Yeah, and think about this. Think about how good Denver was, one of the best uh, goal differentials in all of college hockey at plus 82 last season. They were number four in the pairwise, you know? So think right. about how hard it is to get to that point. Caleb also wants to know if you're going to buy uh, – um, him and Alex Micheletti raising canes. If anyone hasn't gotten a chance to see that gif, um, I think he should. Um, the only other uh, question asked... ever shared, I'm assuming soon. So <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, the only other uh, question asker was Johnny Mac at fight the pants. Always love his questions coming in. He's got three of them for us. Um, number one, any surprises on this roster for you this season? Anything that kind of stuck, stuck out to you as maybe guys that departed, maybe guys that are coming in freshmen, anything like that? Not really. Um, I think Bobby Brink was always a question mark after the season. Um, uh, Savoy, to me, was certainly due to have his way out um, just because uh, he has that talent. I hate to say it. And again, whenever you win a national championship, there, there's decisions to make, especially with those guys that were NHL picks. Um, let's just say the agents and you know general manager staff, they come knocking and they come have conversations with you. Um, especially when you reach that, you know, that ultimate goal. So I'm not really surprised. I think the biggest surprise maybe is Tristan Bros as the, as the transfer and sort yeah. of just the way that that whole situation's unfolded. Um, but beyond that, not really anything surprising. You know, I, I really like how the defensive core has stayed intact. I think, uh, I don't know if it's a surprise, but we talked about Kyle Mayhew a little bit, uh, you know, and how he had 11 points last season, obviously wasn't a huge, uh, you know, offensive producer um in terms of (laughs) in terms of he's a guy that you look at that though as a graduate student i think that getting him i almost said re-signing but you know what i mean getting him back for a fifth season i think that is actually going to be one of the most underrated moves that comes from this pioneers club out of all the great things we've talked about having a solid defenseman like that that you know he's a gamer he can play he can plug him in any situation he's going to be a good veteran leader he's going to play a lot i believe this year um i think there's a lot to like a great mentor for those two young freshmen that are coming in i just i look at a guy like that and you just how do you not like him you know what i mean he almost reminds me of like a not really even a poor man's, but uh, let's just go with it. A poor man's Jake Middleton, so to speak, just hard, heavy minutes, you know, good uh, 200 foot player plays what we would call man, you net presence, which means he keeps the player between, you know, himself and the net. Uh, Pretty simple to follow that one there. So, you know, I think he does a lot of things right that I think go underrated and, He's the only player to return for that graduate season. And I think it's a great pickup for this Pios club. So not really a surprise on this roster, but more like a, hmm, you know, that that could work out really well for this team. So excited yes. to take a look at that, I think. Um, on the other side of this, the only other two questions that he had for us, uh, the next one is, uh, what's the secret to how they were able to dominate long stretches of play against good teams last year? Like we mentioned, shot differential, plus 500 plus essentially um this is a team not only were they good they were a dominant team how do you think they did it well let's look at their second period which was their most dominant one and granted that's the period of the long change right noah grant and i yeah. think for them it just it more highlighted just how good they were on the four check and how good they were with puck possession um that's how that's how i interpreted it as um granted let's put it to you this way i, I think denver uh, just they were smart with the puck. Uh, you know, yeah. it's it's one thing to say, oh, I can forecheck and I can run that system, the two, you know, the one, two, two, the two, one, two, and I can execute it really well. But it's another thing to kind of be on the forecheck, 
then get possession of the puck. So create a turnover if there was one or be on the rush and yeah. to make the smart or the right play. Right. And a big thing about Denver was they were patient with the puck in the offensive mm-hmm. zone. Um, and, you know, they didn't waste time per se. So it's, 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 it's kind of opposite where like, some teams possess it because they're looking for that one perfect play. They're trying to get, you know, something particular, whereas Denver was, we have options, you know, but the thing is at the end of this, if I've got the puck in the offensive zone, I need to make something of it. And so yeah. they, they just, they ran their offense. So I think efficient is the right word is what I'm looking for. Yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that. You know, the other thing that I think really made them successful is just the variety of ways in which they were able to capitalize. They came at mm-hmm. you with so many different weapons. You know, they were a quick strike team on the rush. They were a team that could offer some sustained zone time and be able to tally pucks in the back of that too. They were able to chip and chase and keep pucks in front of them. We talked about that game against Mankato where Mankato was the better team for 40, 45 minutes in that national championship game. Well, Denver held them to that one to nothing lead and, you know, just kept the play in front of them and realized you got to score at least one to win a hockey game. So we're still in a good spot. You know, and I think having the trust in that coaching staff too, a little bit more of a veteran coaching staff as well too, like you had mentioned, I think just all play dividends for this team. So really, um, I don't even know if it's a secret, but it's just, it's a lot of pieces coming together and very well laid into this uh, very nice puzzle that obviously won a national championship last season. Mm-hmm. Final question from Johnny Mack. And I love how he phrases this. He goes, does the university of Denver university um, <laughs> still have a team that can be relentless in attack or do they need to adjust the roster a bit uh, or maybe just adjust the style of play? When you look at the new roster, do you see shades of the team last year? Or do you think this team is going to have a different look? I do, but you kind of wonder early on, especially with the freshmen, do they, do they have more of an emphasis on defense, you know, especially neutral zone and their own zone and maybe more focusing on transition. I, again, David Carl, his brand of hockey is smart hockey. That's really what it comes down to is making smart decisions with the puck. So as these a freshmen are coming in and granted, you know, checking their learning curves, especially early on, I don't think you're going to see as much of a, an aggressive forecheck as we've seen in the past, but more so, you know, you're going to probably see some low to high plays. You'll see, you know, shots from the point, but more so, you know, and maybe more rush attempts, I would say would be what I would yeah. see. And later on as these freshmen in this group gels, you're going to see that system get more into that suffocating, you know, really possessive behind the red line type, uh, that we've seen from them um, in years past, uh, but that's going to take time for that team to develop. I certainly agree. Uh, final two questions. As always, Nick, if you're the Denver Pioneers, how the heck do you repeat for a national championship and do what you did last season in the upcoming year? And if you're St. Cloud State, you got them four times and you got them very early in the NCHC schedule. How do you figure this team out and get a couple of W's? For Denver, you have to trust the process. You have to trust in the coaching staff and the players around you that just went through that uh, journey and had success with it, obviously. So I think, uh, again, you got to learn every day, especially the younger uh, between sophomore and freshman was at all the 15 of their 26 players, if I did my math correctly. Um, you know, so which, which is questionable, but we'll ignore it. It's always questionable. So um, <laughs> I just throw out numbers. Why not? Why not? So, hey, uh, hey you could be like me someday. I'm, I'm, I'm working. <laughs> Working on it actually. Uh, you don't you don't <laughs> want to do that. Run, take the bus and run, right. drive it away. But again, trust the process. Again, that coaching staff is so good. They're so good at the details of the game. And I really think if you're able to go in and learn every day, you're going to be fine if you're Denver. For St. Cloud early on, uh, kind of force them to play defense a little bit. I think if you're early on, if you can get possession against them and kind of make 
especially the younger players, run around a little bit, maybe get uncomfortable and, and just force them to defend. You'll wear them down. I think there's an opportunity there, especially early on. Um, obviously, this team is going to get better in the second half. And when you get them there, um, you're going to have to really, dare I say, match speed with speed uh, and more so get interior on the defense when there's again, man, you net, like I said, you have to kind of get yourself into the house. You got to get them in front of Magnus corner, take away his vision, get shots through um, and get shots through in a variety of different ways. And, and more so, Stay out of the box. This team, um, you mentioned it was a lot of how many power play. They're over almost 24%. You can't give them free opportunities at the net. They've got some raw talent coming in that should be good. I mean, was it Carter Savoy had eight power play goals just in the pot alone? If I yeah. recall correctly, he was a stud. Um, they've got some guys that could replicate that. So uh, be disciplined against them, too, because in seasons past, they've made you pay for it. If you're saying cloud, I think you have to look and get out of the mentality game a little bit. I think so many times when they play Denver, especially at Magnus Arena, where they have not won in that building since 2015, the next closest mm -hmm. building for them, I believe, is Kalamazoo in 2019 or 2020. But that's a long time. I mean, we're going, I mean, this is year eight, Nick, since yeah. they've won in that building. So you have to get out of the mentality game and they're traveling there early, you know, I, I St. Cloud, for whatever reason, when they play Denver, just seems sometimes to just not have that right frame of mind to hang on to games or, you know, they've blown a couple of leads when they've been in Denver, especially too. I think you just, you have to throw all that away and just kind of mark it as a clean slate. You had your national championship appearance two years ago, Denver won a natty last season, wipe the slate clean and just go in with a fresh focus and a fresh mindset. And I think you just, you know, be able to handle the things between the ears before you take care of the on ice product. And I know that maybe doesn't sound that helpful, but I think, you know, it's easy to look, same when we talk about the Wild jokingly, they can't get past the first round. It's easy to let those demons, those, uh, you know, antils come in, turn into mountains or whatever you want to call it because, uh, you know, the mentality part of things and believing you can beat an opponent, just ask AIC if you're a Huskies fan, can definitely pay dividends. On the Denver side of things, number one, as you had mentioned, keep the train rolling. But I think uh, when it goes back to this too, just get the forward group up to speed because the defensive core, I think, is going to be good goaltending you have a known commodity you know what you're getting on the back end there too i think just getting the forward group up to speed you know you have five freshman forwards here just kind of getting them acclimated like we talked about but just trying to replicate some of that scoring touch and it doesn't have to be where one or two guys pop out like you know bobby brain carter savoy those guys like that just understanding that it might be a little bit more winning by committee but the entire group as a whole might be pr more productive and continue to grow and tally a couple more points than the guys did in years past so i think if that offense continues to grow and which is scary to think about that offense growing after a plus 82 goal differential uh, right. last season. Um, I think they're going to be just fine. So as always, we wish the Denver pioneers the best of luck in every NCHC endeavor, except of course, against our St. Cloud state Huskies. We're going to head on to a very short and sweet extra ice session where we take a look at the next round of action that happened at the women's world championships. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session, episode number 107. I just crushed Nick Maxson's hopes and dreams in between the last, the last segment and this segment. So it's fine, Nick. We're we're all doing our thing, right? Um, just kidding. Nick's doing not just sure fine. I'm, I'm not even sure what I'm doing, honestly. Yeah. So yeah. What, thing, what thing am I crushing? 
Well, you know who is crushing it? How about Team USA at the Women's Worlds? Um, yes. It's been very impressive um, for them. Um, I also didn't mention I'm Noah Grant in the extra session. Not that anybody cared about that. But uh, um, what we do care about as far as names, as current and former St. Louis State women's players that have been in this tournament, let's start there as we did last week. A couple more games to evaluate here. Uh, Laura Kluga, who is done now, Germany has been eliminated. Four games played for him. Two goals, two assists, four points for him. Was dash one. Actually a pretty good tournament for how poor for how poor Germany actually ended up being. They ended up only winning one game and their goal differential was minus eight. So uh, just kind of not a great team in the group B uh, this year, unfortunately. Uh, Laura Zimmerman, uh, the Swiss forward coming in uh, as a freshman for the Huskies this season, had two points in four contests, was dash one uh, for the Swiss who are getting ready for their relegation round. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but a pretty good little tournament to start for her. Uh, you need a Newland, uh, five games played for him. The, the Finns are in kind of the same boat. there, trying to, uh, continue, um, their success. I apologize. The Swiss are actually in the medal round is the Finns who are in the relegation round is what I meant to say. Um, you need a Newland, unfortunately, no points for her and minus five still, uh, in that rating. Uh, the Finns have kind of had a topsy turvy tournament on their end of things. And then finally for Clara Hemlerova, um, from Czechia, uh, Five games played, a plus four rating, three goals, one assist, four points, tied for 27th in tournament scoring as a whole, has a 21% shooting percentage for her. So pretty good tournament. Uh, but what we've expected on the international stage and in a Husky sweater for Clara Himmlerova as she is in her upperclassman years now uh, for the Huskies. Uh, feels weird to say that, doesn't it? We remember when Very she was weird. part of that really great freshman uh, group. Uh, coming in in fact maybe let's talk about that of course Laura, Laura Zimmerman is a new commodity but we know what Laura Kluga has brought had that shoulder injury uh halfway through her junior year but other than that has stayed relatively healthy Clara Hamlarova, great producer as always and Nina Newland has been a driver leading the team in scoring for a couple of seasons with this St. Cloud roster so you know what are these uh players that especially the ones that we've known before what do they bring to the table for the international teams for those who don't know uh, they bring experience. Uh, they bring a wealth. Uh, I think just overall, for, and, and this is, let's say it this way: the Huskies women's have been looking for, shall we say, more bright spots. And for for these women, they they're kind of the the, the stabilizers. Really, they 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 kind of happen throughout their careers. And it, going to Laura Zimmerman coming in right uh, from the Swiss. Um, to have that experience before she even touches the ice. And again, it's a, it's a whole different uh, regime coming in uh, with Brian Adelski uh, being the new head coach. And again, uh, Janelle Sergey still behind the bench, Molly Engstrom, as we mentioned last week uh, off as head coach of Maine. Uh, you're looking for some of these players that have the experience to, to sort of kind of drive the bus a little bit. You know, that's, that's kind of what this is all about is using these big sort of international experiences to take that and to have that be a ripple effect in your teammates. Um, I, I do feel like that the women's Huskies, we've talked about this the last couple of years. You now we're just waiting yeah. for the dominoes to fall. And you kind of, you kind of wonder what a fresh voice uh, with some new uh, blood coming in. And especially with some, like, some good experience and come, you know, with this, uh, with Laura Zimmerman, is this the year that it finally turns around? Uh, last season was, I think even more tough to take because they were better 
in situations yeah. that just couldn't quite put it together. And it, you, you need some of these players with this experience, um, you know, to be able to, to make that turnaround. And so it's good. It can only help you in your squad to try to, you know, get over the hump per se. And I think, you know, the, the ones that have been there, like we mentioned, the Hilmarovas and um, Kluka, again, not a part of the hockey organization, now, but had been yeah. right. Uh, they're going to be looked back as part of the, of the, of the building blocks to get this mm-hmm. Huskies program back to where that needs to be. And what a great uh, chance, especially for someone like Laura Zimmerman, like you mentioned, to play this tournament right before the start of training camp when the mm-hmm. season gets underway, being conditioned for that as well, too. Uh, Group A, of course, uh, the Swiss are in there along with Japan, the Finns, Canada, and the U.S. U.S. has the best goal differential in the tournament, outscoring opponents 30-3 to for a plus-27 uh, differential in the prelim round. Pretty impressive. Uh, the U.S. did beat Japan 10-1, to the Finns by a score of 6-1. to Swiss by a score of nine to two. So that dash one uh, for Laura Zimmerman looks all the more impressive. I think with that score on the board, then the U S uh, rallying and taking care of Canada pretty handily five to two in that uh, last game in the prelims. And then they beat Hungary today by a score of 12 to one in the quarterfinal medal round. So I'm uh, Gordon. Gordon. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Uh, speaking of a team that's been doing very well, uh, the Czechs, by the way, 21 to 2 is their goal differential. They've actually had a pretty decent little scoring pace for them. Uh, Swedes sitting in second for Group B, uh, the Hungarians, Germans, and then the host team, Denmark, finished last in that group as well, too. So uh, Saturday, September 3rd, that is where the semifinal games and consolation qualifiers will be going on. And then Sunday is the fifth place game. Uh, the bronze medal game, and the gold medal game. So what do I mean by those things? Well, on September 3rd, the United States and the Czechs are going to get ready uh, for their matchup, and then Canada will get the Swiss, and the winner of those two games head on to the gold medal game. The losers, of course, face each other in the bronze. That's the medal round side of things. On the other side, Finland gets Hungary, and Japan faces Sweden. The losers are done. The winners of those two um, essentially are going to get each other for what should be the last potential spot in group a for next tournament that comes around. Um, I believe the checks enter the next tourney in P four of group a, unless the winner of the above game for P five is either Finland or Japan who are already in group a final rankings are what group you're in. So a versus B coming into the tournament, higher position in that group, number of points, goal differential, goal scored, and better seating. So um, I think that's how it works. That's my best stab at it. I'm not going to sit on there too much, but um, just so you know that there is kind of a consolation round that is important for these teams that have been knocked out of the medal round. So um, they are ranked from one to 10 all the way through this tournament. And it does influence where they're going to sit for next tournament, as well as I believe the 10th team, the bottom team actually gets kicked out. And then a new team comes into number 10, each uh, world championship. So, so, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of things going on there too. So Nick, but this U S team, they've got a legitimate chance to go a long way here in the, in the, their potential uh, last two games here. I shouldn't say potential. They are going to get two games, but the question is uh, what medal would they be vying for? Uh, You look at this team that has had that production, you look at all the, you know, the superstars or Hillary Knights, who, of course, are breaking records that bring that wealth of veteran experience, even at only age 33. What has this U.S. team done, you know, compared to Canada, whose goal differential is, you know, 19 goals for seven goals against? They're having a good tournament, but they're not exactly eye popping numbers from what we've seen from a lot of Canadian teams, especially in years fast in this Canadian team, of course, is a little more defensively structured on the women's side that we've seen in years past. Mm-hmm. Um, what is this U.S. team done well and what do they have to continue to do if they want a gold medal at the end of this you know dare i say it scares me that it's been this easy for them yeah 
um, actually. So it goes back to what we talked about with the men too and their prelims. Correct. And so dare I say that this is exactly where maybe looking ahead and there shouldn't be right. Because there's still an important game for the U S up on Saturday against uh, the uh, Czechia that they have to get through first. And that is when you're, when you get success and I shouldn't say easy, but you know, the scores make it, I mean, the, honestly, the, the U.S. thought Czechia was going to be easy in their medal round on the men's side. How'd that turn out? Exactly. So it's the prelim rounds are great because it puts you in a position to have that better shot of getting to the ultimate prize, which is a gold medal and a gold medal matchup. Right. But on the flip side is when things start to get not as easy and things had been easy for you, mind you, quote unquote. Right. Um, mm-hmm. How do you handle that? Um, Canada, as you mentioned, you know, not the most eye popping goal differential, but they're still a good team. And dare I say that the history shows that whoever wins the prelims uh, flip flops for the medal, yeah. uh, you know, especially in the women's side. So um, this is not a given thing uh, with any tournament like this. Right. So I, I think I'm a little actually more concerned for the yeah. U S uh, than the numbers should suggest, because again, as we get to the good teams, we get to the medal round. Um, that's when things start tightening up. And again, what scares me is, especially in the game of hockey is, if you're a team like the USA and you've been offensive, you've only given up three goals all tournament long so far in the prelims. If you go down, say one or two, nothing early, what does that do to your mentality sake? And does that mean you start changing the way you play, uh, whether it's coached like that or not? And then all of a sudden you find yourself behind the eight ball and can't catch up. And so this is a huge test for them um, on Saturday. You know, again, the numbers don't tell the entire story. And to me, Canada has always been the kryptonite in the gold medal game against the United States. And so to me, this is not as easy as it looks and more so um, Canada being more defensively structured. That's kind of exactly where Canada wants them right now is to kind of suffocate the offensive explosion that is the United States. Now granted, you know, it's easy to play defense or in the offensive zone, but has the USA really been tested and had to, you know, fight out of a long, uh, you know, time in their own zone. I don't really think so as of yet. So um, this ain't over yet. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. There's a lot still yet to be proven here for uh, Team USA. Yeah, I definitely agree. The 30 goals makes sense. I'm kind of confused, though. I wonder if I marked one of these down. You know, they they allowed one goal against Japan, one against Finland, two against the Swiss, and two against Canada, yet it says they've only allowed three goals. By my calculations, that That's would be – five. Yeah, that would be, uh, that would be uh, six there, Nick. <laughs> One, one, two, two. Yeah, that's six. Okay. Yeah, right. look at that. Okay. People listen to us weekly. Can you believe that? Um, anyway, must be their comic relief. I don't know. Well, <laughs> let's talk about things that are weekly because when next week's show comes out, we're going to have the answer to all of this. I want to get your thoughts here, Nick. Uh, Finland, Finland and Hungary, Japan and Sweden all have a chance to uh, win that consolation round out of the four teams. Is there a team that you like? Sweden. Yeah. For no reason at all. Honestly, <laughs> goal, goal differentials plus two for them. Um, they have one win, two overtime wins, and a loss uh, coming into uh, the medal round. On the other side, the Finns, two wins, two losses. Uh, goal differential plus two, very even teams. I yep. think you look at those two teams, Japan, unfortunately, I mean, their goal differential, according to the website, um, 31 to four, they've been outscored, um, unfortunately. And then, and then uh, Hungary, actually, goal differential is minus five, but they just don't score a lot. So right. um, I think it's going to come down to those two teams. And, uh, well, if you're going to go Sweden, I'm going to go Finland. Why not? Sure. Um, 
uh, as we, of course, I am Swedish and Finnish, so I'm a little bit torn. What can I say? Um, <laughs> I'm also Danish too, and German. I, I, I don't, you know. At least the flag um, for a lot of that's consistent. Just the colors are different. Yeah, no kidding. Austrian and Polish. If anyone else is wondering, the other uh, end of that too. But uh, beyond that, that, that explains some things. <laughs> U.S. U.S. And, I, I don't know what it explains. Uh, U.S. U.S. and Czechs. Uh, they're going to play each other, and Canada and the Swiss are going to play each other. Who makes the medal round game? Who makes the bronze medal game? Who comes out of that? I still think it's U.S. and Canada in the gold medal game. It's, uh, would you say, Czechnia and uh, remind me again? The Swiss. The Swiss. I think Czechnia takes third. And I do. I'm going to go against the grain. I do think Canada wins gold. And USA is stunned in the gold medal game because I think Canada, again, uh, just has been... They just they they somehow read the book, and I think again USA has said too easy of a schedule, too easy of, of a time, and I think yeah, Canada's going to one that takes it. Yeah, I, I agree with your third place game with uh, the Czechs. Um, I'm going to go. The U.S. beats Canada four to three in overtime for a gold medal. So it's close. Yeah, so that's what I'm going to go with there. But uh, speaking of things that are gold or lack thereof, the Huskies Warming House podcast does does continue next week. How exciting is that? We should have a normal Sunday release unless anything uh, comes up. Um, but, of course, we'll let you know. You can find us at Warming House Den. That will be our preview for who we believe is going to be the number one team in the NCHC uh, coming up here next week. That is the North Dakota and Hawks, as we would like to call them. And then uh, after that week, we have our final NCHC preview, and that is the St. Cloud State Huskies. And we have some wrap-up things, some really cool things to talk about as far as the video board in the Herbrooks National yes. Hockey Center, among other Finally. things. We're kind of tabling that until the St. Cloud stuff for a couple of weeks. So we promise we didn't forget if you made it to the show this far. A lot of people probably didn't and they probably shut us off and then they're going to rant at us on Twitter and that's fine. We love to see all your fan engagement again at Warming House 10. That's where you can find us and you can find Nick Maxson at the Puckscribe on the same platform and myself at SCSU Hockey 91. For Nick Maxson and myself, Noah Grant, we thank you for listening to the Huskies Warming House podcast and we will see you soon in the den. Timer coming, they score! Ripped in! A bomb from Perrix! So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it! He scores! Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.